It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Flow Track Podcast, and it's just me. It's just Gordon Mack. i never done this before. We're going to do a podcast. That's solo, but don't worry. Um, I will, I'll do my best with no Kevin. Kevin has decided to bail on the podcast because he wanted to go to a place called Hawaii with his wife and family. I know. I'm disappointed, too. He should have done the podcast on the road. He should have bought me a plane ticket. I could have sat on the beach, and we could have done a beach podcast reacting to NCAAs and previewing worlds, but we don't get that. You just get me in my house talking about NCAA. But don't worry. We have a lot to talk about. Um, it was an incredible weekend of track and field. I was there on site, got some interviews. They're all on the site. Check it out. They're also on YouTube channel. Interviewed all the top winners. Great re- Great quotes from some of the top men and women. You know, there was... You know, the Texas DMR was won by a walk-on uh, athlete, you know, talking to Randolph Ross after he almost broke the world record in the 400. You know, it was great all around me. I loved it. Um, I did know that I did hear there were a little bit of technical difficulties on ESPN's front. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, there was no technical difficulties for me because I was just watching it with my eyes. So I'll try to give you my perspective of what was going on while you guys were watching a blank screen. Um, but anyway, feel free to throw some questions in the chat. I'll do my best to answer that because I don't have my sidekick Kevin here. But what I'm going to do here is the plan is there's a lot of events. So there's 34 events that went down this past week at the NCAAs. And I'm going to try to react to all 34 at different levels, some more than others, um, and really give you my true, honest take of what I thought of each event and who did well, who didn't do well. This isn't just going to be a congratulations fest. Obviously, there were some favorites that didn't do too well, kind of react to why that happened. Um, and there were some surprises. There were some unknowns um, who basically shocked the world. And I was like, I had no idea that you were a person, that you existed, and now you're an NCAA champion. 
So it's all cool on both ends of the spectrum. Um, but first, we have to talk about the Pick'em. So for those who don't know, we started this new thing, Flowtrack Pick'em. Every week, we're going to have three to five Pick'em pick questions. Yes or no, you know, pick one of four options. And if you can go perfect for the weekend, you'll be in the running to win a gift card. Last, on at Tokyo, we had three questions. I actually went three for three. I didn't win, of course. I'm not eligible to win, unfortunately. Um, but we had a winner for Tokyo. But this past weekend, we had five questions. First question was, NAU's point total, point total over under 30. They ended up scoring 28 points, Nico Young and Abdi Haben Nur. So if you pick 20 to 29, that was the correct answer. I was wrong. Kevin was right. But I got to say this. I should have been right because if Nico Young doesn't fall, they're clearly going to score over 30 points. So I have to, I have to say uh, that's a little bit of a rigged, rigged question. But, hey, I got it wrong. It's a bad beat on my end. So Nico Young, Abdi Habanera scored less than 30 points. Next question, will Abby Steiner run sub-22 seconds? Both uh, Kevin and I got that one right. They, she did not, but she still ran well, which we both thought would happen. She still ran, what, 22-16, so still an incredible performance from Abby Steiner. Third question was, will Randolph Ross break Norman's U.S. record? Now, this was close. 52% of you said yes. 48% of you said no. Turned out the answer was no. I have a feeling it should have been a yes if that track was just a little bit faster. Um, Randolph Ross could have broken 44-52. He ran 44-62. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that race when we get into it in the pod and what his reactions were after the race. Again, another bad beat. Both of us got that one wrong. Who would win the women's team title? It was Florida. 59% of you said Florida. That was right. Um, wasn't really even close the entire time. And then last question. Who would win the team title? Kevin went with North Carolina A&T. I went with Georgia. We both were wrong. Correct answer was Texas. 7% of you said Texas. 7%. Got this one right. Uh, very impressive pick there. Georgia, I'll talk a little bit why that pick ended up going south, mainly because of what Matthew Bowling's day was like. And then the question was, who would get more picks right, me or Kevin? So. I think Kevin got more picks right because, yeah, we both got the team, men's team wrong. We both got the men, women's team right. We got Norman wrong. We got Steiner right, and then he got NAU right. So Kevin wins this round, but he got lucky. I have a feeling he, for, he found a way to get Nico Young to fall. He, like, hired one of the Stanford guys to trip him up or something, and that's why. Nico Young didn't score more than two points in that 3K. But I digress. I'm, I'm over it. We're going to – it's time for a new slate. tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday, we're going to do a new pod, and we'll have new picks for Worlds. Um, once again, you'll be in the running. If you, go, if you go perfect in your picks, you'll be running for a, a gift card. And we're also going to slowly increase this prize. I'm telling you, the prize is going to change over time. As we get more people doing this thing, the prizes are going to get big, bigger and better and batter um we'll start giving out some flow track subscriptions so you can watch all of the track content this outdoor season because the outdoor track season is going to be fire we have a lot of great live events including this weekend this weekend on saturday stanford is hosting a meet and a little birdie told me a certain former 
duck duo in Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker maybe running a 5K at the Cardinal Classic. It's not official. We haven't heard the official entries are out, but that's what I heard. We may be seeing some uh, Hawker Tier duo going at it in the 5K at the Cardinal Classic this weekend on March 19th. You can watch that live on Flow. But obviously, the whole, the whole summer and spring is going to be great. We got the Penn Relays. We have Peyton Jordan. We have the Continental Tour. It's like 19 Continental Tours, like from the Bermuda all, all the way to all the European ones. It's going to be great. Anyway, I digress. Let's talk about NCAAs, and let's recap it. So here we go. How are we going to recap this? I think the best way we're going to recap this is we're going to start from the 60s, work our way up, do the field events. But I think the first race that we should react to is the race that no one got to watch. And that is the men's 60. Now, first, before we get to the men's 60 final, which had a little bit of chaos with the broadcast, let's talk about that prelim. Number one, Micah Williams and Terrence Jones, both false start. Now, Terrence Jones' false start seemed kind of predictable because Terrence Jones, after his phenomenal 645, which seems to happen like eight years ago, a.k.a. January, he just wasn't the same. He didn't run a big 12s. He ran like a 200 in February. He just wasn't running what we thought he was going to become after that January race. So him false starting was kind of like, yeah, I can see that happening. He was a freshman and, you know, redshirt freshman, albeit. But Terrence Jones false starting kind of seemed non-surprising. But Michael Williams, this guy's run 648. He's run sub 650 multiple times this season. He was the clear on favorite. If he made the final, he would have won. I'm 100% he would have won. Um, but he false starts. And this kind of reminds me of like this, for some weird reason, we always have like a star athlete false start in these big moments. I remember at NCAAs when, when uh, I think, Tra did Trayvon, I think Trayvon Bromel false start. Yeah, Trayvon Bromel false, oh, I can't say, oh my, this is bad. False started in um, a 60 in college. So did Andre de Grasse. I remember that they then came back and ran an incredible 200. But these false starts just always seem to nip some star athlete. So when you look at a start list and you know there's like three star athletes, odds are one of them is going to false start, which sucks. Um, but it kind of was kind of disappointing because the final, as interesting as it was, which I'll get into, I wanted to see what Williams was going to do. I wanted to see Williams run a low 640. I wanted to see him be, I wanted the reaction to be like, man, I wish he was at Worlds because he could have challenged Bracey and Coleman and Jacobs. Because um, I think Williams has a chance to be one of the next U.S. stars, but we just haven't seen it yet. We're just waiting for that moment. He's like on the cusp, but we're just waiting. And now we have to wait another whole season because we thought this was going to be his moment to shine. It didn't happen. Um, he was very disappointed when I saw him walk off the track. Wasn't able to get an interview with him uh, because that's what sucks. A lot of times when these athletes' days don't go as planned, it's really hard to get them to talk on camera. But I'll do better next time. But yeah, Michael Williams um, still had a good year, and he's going to be the favorite in the 100 outdoors, um, but just wasn't meant to be. Now let's talk a little bit about that final, though. Well, well in the prelim, though, I will say Matthew Bowling 
ran from like last to first in the prelim. And I was like, oh, after that prelim, I was like, bowling, this is going to be his meat. This is going to be the meat of Matthew Bowling. But clearly, spoiler alert, that's not what happened. Anyway, continue on to the final. Um, so they set up. They're ready to go. And then they run. And so when this is happening, I'm actually interviewing. Forget who I'm interviewing. I'm interviewing a, an athlete from like the previous event. Not sure which was. So I, like I'm kind of looking at the race with the corner of my eye. And then I hear the gun go off. I see them come across the finish line. And then I'm like, wait, Matthew Bowling isn't in that finish. That's weird. Like, why is he like not there? And I was confused. And the crowd was kind of getting a little weird because people were like talking. And I realized it's like, wait, was there a false start with no second gun? Because I only heard one gun. One gun goes off. And then they basically run the whole race, but there wasn't a second gun. And typically when it's a false start, there's a second gun, but there was no second gun. I, we talked to some people on the ground and apparently one of the like uh, blocks uh, sound equipment, like a uh, speaker, like malfunctioned and sounded off as a, like a second gun, which caused some of the athletes to, to pull up someone like Matthew Bowling. But it wasn't loud enough for, you know, someone like Devontae Burnett who and a bunch of the other USC guys who actually ran the full 60. And so there's a little bit of confusion and coaches were frustrated because if you're Devontae Burnett, you just put in all-out effort to win. You can't just walk back and then run another 60. Like, all right, come back to the blocks, go. Because you put out a full 100%, took all the gas out, put in the Nas, and you were gone, and now you got to come back and do it again. You can't just like do that, you know, one minute later. So I saw like the the USC coaches rush over, and then I think they tried to delay the the start of the race because they didn't want the athletes who ran the full sixty meters to have to go again quickly. So they kind of gave them what was a seemed like an extended break before the second run. It was like five to 10 minutes. It felt like a long time. Everyone's just standing around. Everyone's just twiddling their thumbs, waiting like, what's, what's going on? What's going to happen? But meanwhile, while this is all happening, I think it's just normal. I think just this is a long delay. The ESPN feed goes down. Trayvon Bermel tweeted, nah, NCAA track and field, what's going on? So everyone at home is freaking out because they're like, what, what are we missing? What's going on? And we're just, I'm sitting on the track being like, oh, there's just, Gonna have to wait five, 10 minutes for them to recuperate for a second run. Luckily, um, I, the athletes were able to, luckily I felt like the, the, the false start of the 60 or the miscalculation of the, the blocks uh, sound equipment, so it really wasn't a false start, didn't really affect the result at the end of the day because USC's Devontae Burnett still went on to win. He actually won the race twice which is kind of cool. I think he tweeted out like a race video of his first and second race because like he won the 60 twice. So that was good that like, you don't feel like that long delay affected any of the athletes. But then apparently that second 60 that Devontae went on to win in 650, no one got to see that either. And apparently ESPN was dealing with some technical difficulties and that it, it went all the way into the 400 apparently. Um, no one was saying that was going on in the 
in the stadium. I know maybe someone stepped on the cables. You know, maybe it's like that, you know, um, that meme. There's like a meme where someone is like unplugging like the plug at like the back of like an airplane and like brings everything down. Um, but this is why you got to go to the, the meet, right? I oh, know I'm just kidding. Um, it sucks that people didn't get to see it live and you're kind of like left thinking what's going on. Uh, what do we miss? Uh, you're like, everyone's just confused and there's not a clear understanding communicated to the people. Um, I think one thing about this meet is ESPN. They weren't broadcasting it on linear television because of the schedule, right? It was two, two hour segments. And I think because a conference championship weekend going on, um, ESPN wasn't able to find a time slot to show basically eight hours of track and field content on a weekend when college basketball is going on. So it was basically only given to internet, the ESPN threes of this world, which I have no problem with because that's the future and that's what we do. We, we linear, no, who, who buys cable anymore? Come on. Um, but I think there just wasn't a clear, like, you know, there's, they're not throwing it to a, a desk and studio kind of explaining what's going on, which is what normally would have happened in a regular broadcast of like linear. They were like, all right, like if this happened at a football game, they would go to a desk back in Bristol, Connecticut and be like, we're having technical difficulties. We'll let you know when we're running up and running. Don't worry. We're holding off the race until we're ready to go. But they didn't do that because track, whatever, they'll let people like uh, Trayvon Bromel just tweet in angst. Anyway, Devontae Burnett wins at 6.50. Wasn't that impressive of a time. Um, I think it's because Michael Williams wasn't in there. Um, Burnett, is he a sleeper for being in consideration for one of the top guys in the U.S.? I'm not there yet because a lot of guys are running 6.50s. He's going to need to do it a couple more times. He's going to need to run the nine nines a couple times outdoors for me to really start considering him one of the, the top U.S. runners. But it's a good start for him. Um, but uh, someone, there was also like a protest in the 60. Um, <laughs> There's a good tweet by our boy Travis Miller. Who, who's protesting the 60 meters? Track Twitter, literally everyone. Because, yeah, no one got to watch it. I think there was a protest there because people were upset that they had to run the race twice, right? You know, and you're... People are protesting everything. I think you just protest to protest. If if you're you feel like uh, the the wind blew a little bit too far to the left or to the right, you're going to protest it. It's kind of stupid how much coaches protest, and none of the protests actually fall through. I think one out of every like twenty protests actually becomes legitimate. Anyway, so that's a sixty. Man, we're already 20 minutes into this thing, and we only did one event. But don't worry. that was I had to give a little more input on what happened there because, obviously, people didn't get to watch it. So other things that went down, um, we'll stay with the, the 60. Uh, we'll do, go through the men and then through the women. 60 hurdles, Trey Cunningham, 738. It was an easy win. He was eyeing the collegiate record of Grant Holloway, which was set actually on that track, a 735. Comes up just short, but... 7.38 is still like a world-class top-tier time. And that coming up 0.03 seconds short of Grant Holloway's record is basically a record in itself. Because Grant Holloway is like a unicorn now that you look back on 
looking forward to what Grant Holloway's doing as a pro, you're like, hey, if you're 0.03 back from that guy, you're setting up for a nice long career. Um, Cunningham said post-race that he feels that this generation of hurdlers, like the um, like the Holloways, him himself, you know, Devin Allen, Daniel Roberts, maybe a few others like Leonardo um, Mastari, who got second in the race, who's a freshman. He thinks that they're going to go on to move the record of the 110 hurdles down to 12-7. Now, a lot of this is probably going to fall on Grant Holloway's shoulders to lower the world record down to 12-7. But he just thinks that this is a good generation of hurdling, that they're all going to push each other, and that this isn't going to be an era where 12-99 wins it. Like, he thinks that with the rise of a bunch of guys, they're all going to be together, all going to be in their prime at the same time that these athletes are going to be running 12 sevens. Um, but yeah, 738 was the win for Cunningham. Um, NCAA track and field had a, a missed tweet. Uh, they call it the, 20, the 2002 men's indoor 60-meter champion, which is kind of funny because first 2002, that's a, a typo. Could have been 2022, the men's indoor 60 Basically, what we're trying to say is there's a lot of problems that happened at this meet. Uh, typos, malfunction of equipment of the, the starter blocks, the ESPN feed going down. You get the idea. It was a little bit of a clusterfuck, but I digress. Want to give a big shout out to Leonardo Mustari, North Carolina A&T freshman. Bounced back, got second uh, after not doing well at this conference meet. Very impressive for him um, to get second. He's a true freshman, so looking forward to see what he does in the 60 hurdles. Let's keep going. Men's 200, bowling gets DQ'd, but doesn't matter because he lost. Javante Harding won in 20.46. So that this race, which I thought was going to be a bowling, like running the American record, turned out to be a disappointment. And when you really look at it, bowling was tired, man. He did the 60 prelims. Then he was going over to, to do the long jump final. Then he had to run two 60s because of the weird thing that happened in the 60 final. Then he goes on to do the 200, and then he's also on the 4x4. Four four, and he was looking at the, the day being like, I got to score 30 points for my team. He ends up you know, getting third in a long jump, fifth in the 60, DQ'd in 200. Their 4x4 four four doesn't finish do that well. It just wasn't a good day for Matthew Bowling. And I think you know, this was the first meet that Bowling – had the expectation of being the guy, you know, because freshman year, he, he obviously he was the guy coming out of high school. But I think a lot of people freshman year, there were so many other stars already in the sprints that no one was really putting the expectation on bowling to win. You know, there was this, we want to see him interact at the next level with the top guys in college. But this was the first meet where it was like, bowling, you are the star. And because what he did, you know, he did well at SECs. He started winning the 60, which was great for him because he's more of a 2-4 a guy than a, than a 260 guy. And it just, I don't know what happened. I, I went up to him and I asked if he wanted to do an interview. He, he wasn't feeling it because clearly the day didn't go as planned. But this is what happens to, you know, this is, this is what happens to some great athletes, right? They just 
for some reason, they have one bad event and it starts snowballing. And then, you know, the bad moment starts slowly becoming a nightmare over a 48-hour period. And I think Bowling's going to learn from this weekend. And I think, I, I'm trying to think if this is going to be an ab aberration or the norm. And is Bowling not going to be able to really take that next step to being the dude? Because we'll move on. Like in the 400, Randolph Ross, he was the dude. He showed up and he, and he ran what we thought of him. Abby Steiner ran what we thought she could do. But bowling wasn't able to do it. And I, I really think if bowling came to this meet and says, I'm going to win the 200, and that is it, I think he would have won the 200. I think the long jumps, the 60s, knowing you had the 4x4 four four at the end of the day, kind of did him in. And I think if bowling was on a team that didn't need him to score all the points, he probably would have had a better day. And I think he's kind of a victim of not really having a good surrounding of other teammates that can score points for a team title. Like, he was the team. And when, you're, when you are the team, it kind of just adds all this pressure. Like, his, his boy uh, Elijah Godwin in the 400, he didn't even make the final. So when Bowling sees oh, crap, we were supposed to get 68 points from Godwin in the 400. It's on him to, like, carry the load. And their, their 4 by 4 still won their, the, the, the fast heat, but Texas A&M went on to win the 4 by 4 overall. It just, it just wasn't a good day for bowling. And I think if I had to predict what his 2022 outdoor season is going to be like, I think he's going to have kind of a, a slow buildup. And I think he may not run like incredible performances heading into, heading into NCAAs. I think he's going to take a step back, reevaluate, and just simplify it. He needs to simplify it. If he's going out there trying to do 12 events at outdoors and then come back and qualify, for a bunch of world championships uh, events, it's just not going to work. Like, he's too – it doesn't work for anyone. I remember when Clayton Murphy was like, screw it. I'm going to qualify in the 800 and the 1500. And then what happened was he didn't qualify in either because he kind of spread himself too thin. Um, but I think it's going to be fine. I think just he needs to do less events. That's the moral of the story. Do less events. So, yeah, two less events. Anyway, uh, 400. Randolph Ross runs 44.62.1 away from the American record. He went for it, man. He did, looking at his splits, he went out in 21.09, closed in 23.53. Now, when you think about it, 21.09, it's, that's pretty good. But when he ran in Clemson four weeks prior, when he ran 44.8, he went out in 20.9. So he basically went out a little bit too slow, basically left 0.2 seconds on, on the floor through the first 200, and then he wasn't able to make it up in the final 200, and he runs 44.62, which is still an incredible time. I talked to him after the race. He said, 
if this was an outdoor track, he probably would have ran 43 low. And I believe him because that track is not fast, especially it's not one of those fast bank tracks. It, it may be good for a 60 because whatever, it's a 60 is just flat. You can figure that out. But for a bank track, it's not that quick of a track. And 4462 will translate to some quick outdoors. And I think he's going to do well outdoors. I think he is going to be – he'll run 43 probably at least twice before – I think he's going to 43 seconds twice before the U.S. final. I'm going to go with that. He's going to 43 seconds twice before the U.S. final. That 400 was interesting. Three Florida guys made the final. Three Iowa guys made the final. But the Florida 4x4 finished 7th, and the Iowa 4x4 finished 12th. That's crazy. You qualify three individuals from your school into the final. So you have three of the top eight guys in the country. But when you put together your four by four, you finish seventh and 12th. And I think a big reason why that happened was because um, they're tired. That was the story to me. I talked about how bowling, he was tired from doing all the events. People, this, the meat is so condensed that to do multiple events in the same day, it is very, very hard. You saw with these 400 guys who they all qualify for the 400 final and then they can't put together in a 4x4. Um, I think there was, there's something about the close turnaround. Like North Carolina A&T, they probably had a 4x4 that could have won, but they ended up finishing ninth. And I think a big reason for that is one of their guys was in the 200 prior and they had to come back around a 4x4. Um, Randolph Frost literally ran 44.6. And after that race, he was sitting in a Normatec boot with his legs elevated for like an hour. So like his body's kind of like beaten down and it's not gonna be able to come back and run another 44 second. He only ran like 45 or 46 seconds and just wasn't a typical Randolph Frost performance. But in general, the people who ran multiple events struggled in that four by four. And I just thought that was interesting. I mean. Look at this video of, of uh, Ross after that race. He was, he was dead. He was a dead man walking. Um, he put it all out there. Um, he's going to be fine outdoors. I'm excited for outdoors for a lot of these sprinters because the schedule is going to be a little more spread out. It's not going to be as congested, and we'll be able to see the true performance of the top guys like Ross and Bowling and Michael Williams. We'll say this. Uh, Fastest split of the 4x4 was Arkansas's James Benson, who split 4465. 44.65. 0.03 off of what Randolph Ross ran in the open. James Benson, keep an eye on him from Arkansas. He's my sleeper 400 meter runner going into the outdoor season. Um, got a question from the chat. Uh, what happened to champion Allison? ESPN3 doesn't show that race. Sorry, ESPN didn't show it. Uh, he, I think he got um, stepped on by his teammate because there was three Florida guys in the 400 final in the same race because they do two, two heat final. He got stepped on by one of his teammates, went down, um, and wasn't able to survive. I didn't talk to him to find out exactly what happened, but I think the word on the street was he got stepped on by one of his teammates. 
All right, let's move over to uh, some of the distance stuff. Men's 800. Brandon Miller, easy win. There was kind of like, all right, Brandon Miller's going to win this race. He went to 147. The story of the race, though, was Jonathan Jones. Jonathan Jones, 400-meter runner, his first two and a half years in college. He had only ran one 800 as a collegiate prior to this meet. And he's a junior. He's a junior, maybe a thirty or fourth year at school because of COVID years, whatever. But he had only run one eight like this season. He's only run four hundred, six hundred, and one eight hundred. Right? He runs one eight hundred and qualifies for this meet. Then he goes on in his second eight hundred of the year, qualifies for the final. His third eight hundred of the year, he gets second behind Brandon Miller, who is going to look to be one of the. One of the, it's a good guy to lose to. Brandon Miller is going to go on to do some great things. But for Jonathan Jones, he gets second in this race and his third 800 of his basically collegiate career is incredible. Texas went 2 4. This meet, this race was a big reason why Texas went on to win the team title. Talked to Coach uh, Edric Florial after the meet and he said, yeah, going 2 4 in the 800 was really the, really the, the tipping point that turned their team title hopes from 48% to like 75% because of this 2-4 finish from Texas, from Bismania and Jonathan Jones. But yeah, Jonathan Jones, I talked, so he ran the 800 in high school apparently. And then when he came to college, Edric was like, you're a little too, a little too skinny. He's not as strong, like a little too, too rail. He needed to like develop some strength. So what he did was he turned him into a 400-meter runner. And he became a great 400-meter runner. He's only 44 seconds. He's making NCAA championships in the 400. And, but then once he had all the strength build up, they started like, let's just see what happens in the 800. And when they started experimenting it, him running a 600 this season, and he ran a really fast 600, they're like, ooh, that's, like, that's a good 600. Let's see if we can add another 200 meters to that. And then he goes out and qualifies for NCAAs, and they just slowly but surely turned it up the the volume of of workouts and slowly started doing some 800 meter type training as opposed to pure speed stuff, and it translated into you know getting second at the NCAA meet in a good field. And I asked him like, "Hey, are you an 800 or 400 guy?" And he said, "My." My mind is saying 800, but my heart is saying 400. So he wants to be in the 400, but his mind is saying 800 because I think he's realizing it is – he got second here at this meet. In a 400, you're going up against someone like a Randolph Ross where you know you got to run like 43 seconds. It's one thing to be a 44-second 400 guy, like run 44-8 and on a good day 44-7 or 6. But if you need on a good day to run like 43.5 to compete with the best, that's a whole other level. Whereas tactical 800s, put yourself in it. You can be there with a 145, 146. It's the right race. You don't need to be a 141, 800 meter runner to compete, right? You could be a 145 guy and compete with the best. If you're a, you need to be a 43 second guy to compete with the best in the 400. I think that's why he's kind of challenging to figure out what he wants to be. 800, 400, 400, there's a lot of speed involved. But big run for Jonathan Jones.
um, the mile. We basically got to watch a replay of the 2016 Olympic 1500-meter final. At least that's what I was thinking when I watched it. And then the winner of the race, Mario Garcia Romo, actually referenced that race because of what happened. All right, so the race goes out. Now, let's remember, about like 90 guys broke four in the mile this year. It took like 355 to qualify to the meet. It was an insane year for the NCAA and the mile. People are running 352s, 353s. It's just, it's just been insane. And so we're like, all right, this is an all-time great field of 353, 354 milers. This is going to be a great final. Well, one lap in, we're like, all right, 30 seconds, we're good. And then the second lap, and we're like, oh, 103. This is, and then the third and fourth lap, we're like, ooh, okay, 210. Yeah, we're, we're not, this is, this is going to be a, this is going to be a sit and kick. Uh, Pat Casey tweeted out, what if I told you it took 356 mile to make it to NCAAs and a 407 mile to win NCAAs? Um, but it didn't take away from the, uh, excitement of the race because basically when he, when we saw it was going to be tactical and an, and an indoor indoor mile tactical it's all about position more than anything and i saw mario garcia romo just be in the matthew sensuit spot he was right in the front on the inside rail and as soon as anyone would come up on his shoulder he would just move it a little bit and never let anyone pass him from the outside and i was like that's exactly what Sentry does Sentry goes right to the front and he keeps an eye on his right shoulder. And as too, soon as anyone just even attempts, even suggests that I may try to put a, a few centimeters ahead of you, you just, you know, you pick it up a bit. And that's exactly what Garcia Romo do, did. He kept the inside rail. He never let anyone pass him. And he was just able to hold off the entire field and run the shortest distance and win it easily in 407. Easy as a exaggeration. It took a lot of effort because they had to close uh, in 25 seconds. So that's, that's not too easy to close in 25 seconds. But um, he basically ran like Matthew Sentowitz. And when we talked to him after the race, he said he was thinking about that, that race while he was in it. He was like, this is just like the 2016 Olympic final. I just got to stay on the inside rail, do exactly what Sentro did. Everyone's going to slowly pick it up. You just go with them. And as long as you just match every single step that everyone behind you is doing, you're going to come out on top. Beetleskim came close, though. Morgan, uh, Beetleskim almost beat him. You can see this photo here where Garcia Romo looks to his right, and I think he realizes he has it. But notice Beetleskim is not looking to his left. And Beetleskim briefly celebrated because I think he thought he got him because he swung out wide into lane four. And I he thought he got him, but they quickly put up the result on the screen so he knew right away, like, all right. It's not, I didn't get it. But Beetleskin, man, he put in a hell of an effort to try to close on uh, Mario Garcia Roma, but it was all about positioning. I mean, he ran a faster last lap. He ran 25.5 to Garcia Romo's 25.8. Um, but it was all about positioning. Um, Beetleskin, man, he's, he's a real deal. He's able to close 25. I'm excited to see what he does in like a, a good 5K against some of the top guys in the country. Because Bielskum, he's an older dude. He's like a six-year senior. He's ready to see what he can do um, at the pro level. Um, I'm trying to think what Beetlescum's going to be 
Could he be a Bowerman guy? He might be a Bowerman guy. Might be a Bowerman. Maybe Pete Julian. I could see maybe a Pete Julian dude. He could be Pete Julian's, you know, 5K type guy. Is because right now he's a little he's a little light on the higher up distances, kind of more in the 1500, 800 world with his men and women. But I don't know. It'll be interesting where Morgan Beetlescombe ends up post college. Um, but he's he's having a great year, and you know. It was a tactical race. It's all about positioning. But he showed he could he could close well, 25.5 seconds. Um, Mario Garcia Romo. Um, this guy was the favorite. I picked him to win and he won. And I'll be excited to see what he does outdoor season, especially with all the old old miss guys. Um, Ole Miss is going to the pen relays with should put together a really good four by mile and a good DMR, um, led by Garcia Romo. I'm excited for that. We're actually going out to Oxford, Mississippi, in a few weeks, get a workout Wednesday with the one and only Garcia Romo. So I'm excited for that. He did mention, though, he got in a car accident earlier this year with his teammate, Dalton Hanks. And Dalton Hanks actually got kind of injured and had to like get through surgery. And he mentioned how he was kind of running in honor of his teammate that he got in a car accident with. Uh, and I was like, holy, like, no one knew about this. It's kind of like it wasn't publicized. Which is great, by the way. Not publicizing like car accidents, like it's you know a new Instagram filter. It's like you know, not everything needs to be broadcast to the public. Of like, hey, just so you know, today I'm got in a car accident. You know, he's just like, I did that. Him and his teammates were kind of rallying around, you know, that kind of tragic event that happened earlier in the year. Um, luckily, no one was s- severely injured or killed or anything like that. Um, but the fact that he was able to continue his season after you know a near tragedy and come out with a win and run in his honor of his teammate Dalton Hanks was pretty cool for the Ole Miss Rebel. All right. Now, 3K, 5K, this was a big event for my pick'em because I want to see how good NAU would do here. They had three guys in the in the 5K, two guys in the 3K. I put the over-under at 30 points. And there are two guys, they scored 29 points between the three of them, but they scored 28 points with just two guys. The 29th point was Drew Bosley's eighth place finish in the 5K. And man, oh man, Abdi Haminur, he is something special. He wins both races in a very similar manner. First race, he wins in 13-19, which is an incredible time. It's kind of, we're kind of turning these... 1320s and 13 teen marks and kind of just being normal. But it's kind of incredible that he won this race in 1319. Like it's, no one is talking, no one is mentioning how fast the race was, which is kind of what's wild about uh, the 5K. He runs a meet record and that's not a story. What the story is, is how he did it. And the fact that he was in just such control of the race that he looked like he was just like, skipping or hopping or frolicking. He looked like he was frolicking in the final 1K of this race. Now, obviously, it goes out uh, goes out as we thought it would go out. Wesley Kiptu goes out at four-minute mile pace. Um, the field slowly catches up to him. And uh, Adrian Willis-Shut kind of takes the lead. Um, and there's a little bit of jockeying. Avdi Hamid Nur and Nico Young are kind of staying up there in that top group. 
And then there's just a big move that Abdi Hamid Nur makes, and no one can match it. He just he goes, and you know, 20 seconds later, three second gap, and he kind of he slowed down at the end because he had built such a big lead after that big move. But watching Nur just go to a new gear while everyone else is just like pain face, sprinting all out, looking down at their feet and. Nur is just frolicking past them. And man, let me tell you, Nur. Well, I'll say who I think it was. So Nur is just frolicking past them. We're like, all right, it's the 5K. You know, let's see what happens when it's a shorter distance and uh, there's some newer, fresher guys in there. We'll see what happened in the 3K. 3K? He doesn't frolic, but he freaking controls. He makes a move to the front. And he never loses it. He, any push from anyone on his shoulder, he counters. And he closes in, 20, in like 56 seconds. But he just, he looked like he always had another gear. He looked like he had infinite gears. And I know this is a crazy comparison. But watching Abdi Hamid Nur look like I was watching a young... Mo Farah because he looked like he just knew he was going to win that he had like a smile on his face I asked him like why were you smiling he's like oh no I wasn't smiling I was just like gritting because that's just how my face looks when I'm running and he may be saying that to save face but he looked like he was running against a bunch of JV runners and he knew he was going to win it was just about a formality and he was just waiting for the end of the race and once the race comes to the final few laps he can then just go and win it and call it a day. But he is doing something special. And I think Abdi Haminur, I know you don't want to put like big expectations on these young guys and like what they think, but he has potential to be like Olympic medalist type, you know, in three years from now, two to three years from now. Like he has that. I don't know what it is. I could say that gene, but he has something that when I'm watching, I'm like, this isn't normal. He looked like a man among boys. Uh, he's, I think he's a senior age-wise because I'm not sure what year he graduated high school because COVID, everyone, everyone, you don't know how old anyone is, but it's not like he's like 25 or anything, but he looked incredible. And I, I would, this is, it's going to be upset here because I think Abdi Hamid Nur could do well in a U.S. 10K because clearly he has the aerobic aspect, right? He's trained at 7,000 feet. He can handle that. But his, his kick, man, his speed seems, seems kind of scary. He's running 355 mile, and uh, I'm excited to see what he, what he can do in the 10K. But the problem is the 10K is during regionals and so he's gonna have to choose whether or not to do the 10k at usa's or do ncaa's and i think it's gonna suck because he's probably gonna end up doing ncaa's and we can't see what he would what he's capable of in a 10k he's gonna do in the 5k at usa's and the 5k at usa's isn't gonna be like he's not gonna win a 5k but i feel like he could fin i think he could finish top three in a 10k he could beat joe klecker he 100 percent could beat joe klecker Tomorrow. 
Now, this isn't a, a gripe on Joe Klecker because Joe Klecker's great. Joe Klecker, world-class athlete. Joe Klecker is going to make multiple world teams. But I think he is equal or slightly better than Joe Klecker. I'm not ready to put him in the Grant Fisher world because Grant Fisher literally just broke the American record in a top 10 all-time. 10K. He's not, I'm not putting him there yet because he'd need another four years of development. But I think he can challenge to be top three in the U.S. Because after, after Fisher, it's wide open. There's two. I, I, I think 100% I could put him in that. Now, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, in the, mo- in the moment and, you know, it's, it's just NCAAs and these pros like Connor Mance and Klecker and Kincaid and Lamong and Shalimo and Kip Churcher and all these guys are like, chill out, Gordon. It's just NCAAs. It's just a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds. It's nothing that special. But, man, it, it looked like he was a man among boys, and he's just he's, he's ready for the next step. Um, but anyway, impressive double for him. Wins both. Nico Young gets third in the, in the 5K. Gets second. No, get, no gets, gets third in the 5K. Gets seventh in the 3K. And the reason he got seventh, he fell. Nico Young fell. I'm not sure where it was. So I think lap, what lap number is that? I'm not sure what lap number that is. But yeah, basically after 1,200 meters, he went to 36 second 200 because he fell, he falls at the start finish line. Basically the back half of the entire field, someone trips up, Nico Young goes down. Luckily, it wasn't that crazy of a hot pace that he was able to get back into the mix. But you have to think if Nico Young doesn't fall, does he finish a little bit higher? I don't, Nico Young, is not going to win the race, but maybe instead of finishing seventh, he finishes third, and then NAU scores even more points. He still was able to close well. He closes in 27 seconds. He closes in, on par with the rest of the crew. You look at this field, the f- top eight were all separated by less than a second. So it was basically like the end of a 1500 where everyone is crossing the finish line within the same time. It was all about positioning. And you think if that fall doesn't happen, does Nico have better position? If he has better position, does NAU, you know, follow up their one three performance with another one two or one three or one four or something like that? Um, but overall, these three kids, Nico Young, Abdi Haminer, Drew Bosley, scored twenty nine points. They've podium. It's incredible. I I always say that like every year I'm always trying to find like the distance team that I think can podium. It's like my thing I always do. I like I did it with Wisconsin one year. I did it with Stanford. I did it with NAU in 2020. And every year I predict, this is the, I did it with Lowie LeLang. I was like, Lowie LeLang, he's going to win three events and he's going to podium for Arizona. Every year I'm always like, this is the year a distance school is just going to podium. And it finally happened. And then you got it done. And, you know, they did it with, even with um, potential errors. Like Nico Young getting second wasn't expected, but they still had, three points to spare. So even if Nico doesn't even score, they still score 27 points. If Drew Bosley doesn't get his eighth place finish, they still only score, they score 28 points. So in reality, they almost, they basically could have done it with just two guys. It's incredible. They could have done it with two guys and Nico not score in the final event. They could have done it with just Three scores, a first, a first, and a second. And no, a first, a first, and a third, which would have been 26 points, which would have tied for fourth. 
it's crazy. I mean, it's, it, it is a result of the NCAA team title scoring being kind of weird. But in general, man, like, it was pretty cool to see three dudes finish fourth at a track meet. It shows that they just scored a meet differently. But I can get – that's a whole nother topic. But anyway, good run for NAU. do want to give a little bit of shout-out to Stanford. They were kind of like the little brother of NAU because while everyone's talking about Nico and Nur and Boz is scoring 29 points, Hicks and Sprout finished third and eighth in the 3K. And Kai Robinson and Sprout finished second and fifth in the 5K. It's pretty impressive. So Sprout finishing eighth and fifth, and then Hicks and Robinson finishing third and second. Obviously, NAU is going to take the, the headline because of the individual wins from there. But Kai Robinson ran really well. He's a freshman. Cole Sprout, freshman, again, COVID freshman. But very impressive run for Stanford. You got to look out for them um, this outdoor season. And I do want to say one thing. Remember the legend of Wesley Kip too? I remember it wasn't that long ago, two years ago, where everyone was like, holy shit, there's this guy, Wesley Kip too, Iowa State. He's never going to lose. It's going to be impossible for anyone to beat him. He's running like 20 seconds faster than anyone else in the NCAA is ever going to be able to touch. He goes out there and he goes out in two-minute pace and no one's able to, he's able to hold everyone off. And it's just going to be a, a run of three years of Kiptu. It's the next Lawi Lalang. It's the next Cheserek. It's the next um, Sam Chalanga. And at first it felt like that because he ran really well on that indoor race cross country he didn't win but you kind of took it as like oh it's because he just ran a 5k indoors and Connor Mance is really good but man Kiptu's had this high high and now it's just not running with the way we thought he would run um not to like turn this into a, a shit on Kiptu segment because that's not the point the point is um I think Kiptu was maybe it feels like Kiptu was like the first to have the super shoes. That's what it feels like. It feels like he was the first to wear the super shoes. No one knew he was wearing super shoes. And then everyone else wore them. And now he's kind of been back to the pack and running just like a regular all-American caliber runner. But I feel like Kiptu, he needs to find a new strategy. Like him going out in two minutes for a 5K for the opening 800, it's, just, it's not going to work. Uh, but, hey, he just... I guess he has that motto of you win by an inch or a mile, lose by an inch or a mile, losing is losing. And, man, he went for it. Uh, he goes out in 201 and then slowly but surely falls off. But anyway, I just want to say, remember Kip too? That was great. These other people. Man, this is hard to do a podcast. We're 54 minutes in. and I'm, I'm only gotten like six events in. Hopefully you guys are still listening because – I'm trying to give you my perspective of what I saw on the ground um, and my thoughts. Nagus, he just, I think there's something up. I, I think he, he needs to, oh, so Tampa Eagles just said nine minutes left. What about the women? Well, this is what we're going to do. I'm just not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. This will be longer than an hour. We'll just go two hours. Is that cool, Colt? Even though show at 11. All right, so all right, we'll at least get another half hour. I'm going to start going a little quicker here um, to get to the women. But I do want to say, Nagus, something was up with 
him. I mean, he still ran well in the DMR, closed in 355, gets second, but then he just doesn't have it in the 3K, doesn't score in a 3K. I feel like Nagus just, he came back this year for his team. He came back for cross country. He came back to do one last hurrah in the DMR. And obviously it didn't go as planned. And you kind of have to give him a little bit of, uh, not sympathy, but, you know, respect. Because he had every reason to leave. He just made the Olympics. He had nothing else to prove in the NCAA scene. He purely was coming back for team reasons only. He was not coming back for individual accolades. He was coming back for team reasons. And that's what he mentioned in his post-race interview after the DMR. He came back to try to win a cross-country team title. He came back to try to win another DMR title. He came up short, but at the end of the day, you can hold your hat on that the reason he was there was for his teammates and not himself, which is like, you know, it's a good thing to, to care about. You know, so I don't know. I just feel like despite Nagusa's kind of struggle of a 2022 season, I think we can kind of just write this off as like he's kind of just like he's here for his boys. And then once he's finally able to let go of his boys and start focusing on himself, we'll start seeing the Nagusa that we know who for some reason, always finds a way to win every last, every kick race, every sit and kick race. Cause that guy always finds a way to win by a centimeter over the guy he's racing. Um, so I'm excited for Nagus to kind of be set free from his teammates and be just himself, you know, but Hey, he wants to focus on his team. That's what he wanted to do. He's a unique, it's like Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow could have gone to the NFL after one of the, after his Heisman season or his second Heisman season, but he came back another year. It didn't go as well when he came back. He still got drafted. Now, Tim Tebow, maybe I shouldn't be comparing Nagus to Tim Tebow because Tim Tebow turned out to be a horrible quarterback, and I don't think Nagus is going to become a horrible runner. Um, but with that said, uh, I think Nagus, we'll see the real Nagus when he's no longer wearing the Notre Dame uniform and he's wearing whatever pro team he's on. and. That's when we'll start seeing it. So we just have to wait till end of this year to see the, the real Nagus. All right. Speaking of DMR, I do want to give a big shout out to – so I, we live in Austin, Texas. That's where our headquarters is. Co-founder of Flow Sports, Mark Floriani, Texas uh, alum, ran for Texas. I think he had like the steeple record for like one second when people were running slow back in the 2000s. Um, but, man, Texas wins a DMR, 925, anchored by – Yassin Abadala, who closes in 355, post-race interview with this kid, with the team. Abadala ran 659 in high school. Not 559, not 459, 6, 659, 7 minutes. He ran a 7-minute mile in high school as a sophomore. And now, was it now four years later? Because he's like a freshman or sophomore now. He's running 355, anchoring Texas to a national title. That is crazy. He was a walk-on. Uh, he, clearly, he found a way to get, you know, he wasn't highly, he wasn't recruited at all. He was just, he got better his junior and senior year of high school, but he wasn't, you know, uh, a nationally recruited type athlete that deserved a, a scholarship at a team like Texas. But he slowly got better and better. And now, 
he's anchoring 355 for a Texas DMR team and just beating out someone like Yared Nagus. Like, it wasn't like it was a weak win. They ran 925. It wasn't like a weird, like, abolition, like, oh, this, this NCAA title is not equal to other NCAA titles. This is a legit NCAA win against a legit Notre Dame team and is anchored by a walk-on. And it was just incredible. God watched this interview on the site. It's on YouTube and Flowtrack just to see their reaction. It's kind of cool for Texas. Remember, Texas DMR used to be the GOAT of DMRs. They ran 925 in 2008, anchored by Leo Manzano. That was the gold standard of DMR, 925. And then it wasn't until 2020 when everyone and their mom decided, like, we can run 925. And now that mark is not even in the top 10 anymore because of what's happened the past three years with all these fast DMR times. But Texas was the OG of DMRing, and now they finally got the national title back where it belonged for Texas because um, it was pretty cool. I'm sure Leo Manzano is at home watching this being like, out of do, out of do, boys, out of do. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and I'm excited to see what Yassin Abudala does. Again, he's young, super. Uh, his ceiling is unknown, right? Runs well, 355. I'm excited. Maybe he's, maybe he's the next uh, surprise. I mean, maybe he's the next Yard Nagoose. Yard Nagoose, no one was talking about until freshman or sophomore year when he comes out of nowhere, anchors the Notre Dame DMR, then goes on to have a great career. Maybe Yassin Abdallah is going to be, you know, two years from now, we're going to be looking at him as a potential trials wild card in 2024. Who knows? Uh, okay, let's fast forward to some of these field events. Um, high jump, Vernon Turner wins in 232. Bittersweet because he won, but he was a centimeter short of the world standard, which is kind of, oh, so close, but... Oh, so close to world standard. Not that many people have the world standard in field events. Vernon Turner wins for Oklahoma. He used to be at Oklahoma. They transferred to another school. They went back to Oklahoma. So he's been like on the transfer thing back and forth here or there. So for him to come out on top is pretty good for him. He's had a kind of a, a long journey to, to the top. In the pole vault, there was a big battle between Princeton and BYU. Sandre Guters, oh man, words. Gutersman versus Zach McWhorter. Gutesman got the best of McWhorter. Uh, Princeton, though, they go 1-4 in this race, in this race, in this pole vault, with the Gutters, Gert, with the, I'm not even going to say it, their names. They're from Sweden, I believe. I think they're from Sweden. Yeah. Uh, for Princeton, they score 1-4. They, they got, like, top three in the heptathlon. They finished top five in the DMR. And Princeton, oh, from Norway. Sorry, from Norway, not Sweden. Norway. They're from Norway. Uh, and, uh, Princeton finished top five in the DMR. Princeton team was fifth overall with the pole vaulters, their DMR, and uh, their heptathlete. And these uh, pole vault brothers were a big reason why. So it's pretty cool for Princeton. You know, another team that's not like on the map, like SEC school, you have NAU and Princeton finishing four or five. Pretty, pretty cool for the uh, smaller schools. Long jump, Tennessee went one, two with Wayne Pinnock and Kerry McLeod. That was a big reason why Tennessee podiumed. I did not see them going 1-2 in this field. I thought Kerry McLeod would win. But for some reason, this guy, Wayne Pinnock, great last name, Pinnock. That's at least honorable mention of all team name. Wayne Pinnock. Whew, gotta like it. Freshman, B-52, 
beats out his teammate by a centimeter. Them going 1-2 in this event. Parlay that with uh, Favor Ash, who ran well in the, in the 60. That made Tennessee a podium team. Uh, triple jump, Emmanuel Imaji, Oregon, got the easy win. Uh, I think that's his second win in the triple jump. Man, I'm starting to lose my voice. Uh, shot put, uh, two men threw over seven feet, 70 feet. Turner Washington, Adrian Pippery, kind of close battle, but Washington was a Bowerman guy. He, I think he was a Bowerman finalist last year. Got the best of Pippery. Weight throw, my favorite, Israel Oladi. Failed to make the final, so I was bummed about that from Grand Canyon. He the top seed, didn't even make the final. Um, but Bobby Colantino of Alabama won. And then one event that I thought was kind of cool, Aiden Owens in the multis, in the heptathlete. Okay, he needed to – he was in third or fourth place going into the final event in the heptathlete. And you guys know they score seven events. Last event is a 1K. He needed to beat Kyle Garland of, Texas, of Georgia by 13 seconds in a 1K to win. 13 seconds. He had to beat him by. And he goes on to beat Kyle Garland by 15 seconds. He runs 231, which for a heptathlete, that's good. Like, if you have a, a distance runner running 231, you're like, oh, you're a good prospect. Like, you're going to develop into potentially like a, a good 800-meter runner or a good miler with 231. That's four-minute mile pace. But Aiden Owens pulls it off, runs out of his mind, 231. Kind of reminded me of Curtis Beach and his great mid-distance running. Uh, but beats Kyle Garland by 15 seconds to pass him and win the heptathlon by 11 points. Uh, Texas won the team title first. Team title for the Texas men. Um, Kentucky, North Carolina A&T, and NAU, you know, team stuff. Sorry. Um, all right. I'm starting to lose my voice. I'm not going to lie. This... This is, this is what's the problem with our sport, right? I've only done like 17 events. It took a whole hour. And I'm losing my voice. And I haven't talked about a single woman. This was not planned. There's just so much stuff going on. Man, I, I imagine Kevin has listened to his podcast on the beach in Hawaii. Just like, keep going, Gordon. Keep talking. Keep enjoying it. We're going to have a good pod to... Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, we're going to do a world's preview. Um, it won't be just me. I believe we're going to have a, a friend who lives overseas who's going to be in, uh, previewing that meet with us. So look forward to that on the Wednesday pod. All right. Time for the women. We'll start with the 60. Okay. 60 was weird, man. Not as weird as the men, but this is weird. Julian Alfred breaks the collegiate record in the freaking prelim running 7.04. And then the next day gets fifth. That's crazy. 704 in the prelim, and then fifth in the final. Uh, I don't know how that happened. I mean, maybe you overthink it when you run that fast. You're like, oh, crap. Now I'm the fastest to ever do it in college. And then you, you tense up, and then that results in a fifth place finish. But someone who did not tense, tense up is Melissa Jefferson, who. No one knew existed. I mean, did you know Melissa Jefferson existed? I think only her teammates, her coach, and her family, and her 500 Facebook friends knew that Melissa Jefferson existed. But now, everyone knows she's, she exists. Because, one, she ran an incredible prelim. 
She runs like 7-10 in the prelim. Her coach goes wild. Uh, he was freaking out. He, they were freaking out like, oh, my God. You just ran 7-10 in the prelim. You made the final. This is incredible. And you thought that was the moment. You thought that was like, the oh, this is great. Small school athlete, no one knows, makes the final. Great moment for the coach and the athlete. Hold on. No, that wasn't it. They're going to come back and not medal. They're going to freaking win. And she wins in 7.09, which then is even more crazy. Coach, coach had tears in, her, in his eyes. They just were like, this is the greatest moment of her young career. Her PB going into this meet was 7.22, and now it's 7.09. Just an incredible change of, of like breakout. Like when you look at all 34 events, who had the best weekend? You could say, you know, some of these top athletes had good days here and there. And Melissa Jefferson, by far, had the best weekend. Her 100 meter PB is 11.22. Six, again, her 60 PB was 7.22. And then she comes in, runs 7.10 in the prelim, 7.09 in the final, and wins. Incredible progression. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. She was running like 730s. It's like, whoa. Uh, talk to her after. She had a good, you know, head on her shoulders of like her expectations going into outdoor, um, taking it day by day. And the coach just had all the confidence in the world. It's like, I knew this could happen. I knew it. I believed it. And it just happened, you know. So pretty cool to see, you know, because sometimes when you're, you know, you're just there with one athlete or small school, you have that mentality. No one knows you know, the diamond in the rough that I have. And I just need that. I just need that opportunity to show this diamond. And this was that opportunity for the Coastal Carolina athlete. So it's pretty cool. Uh, 60 hurdles. Oh, Pemba Nelson. Um, I, before we talk about hurdles, she DNF, uh, she false started in the, um, the 60 prelim, similar to Michael Williams on the men's side. That kind of changed the calculation of how this ends to how this final worked out. Cause Kevin Nelson was the defending champion. She should have been in the mix of at least podium. Um, I don't know why she false started. I guess the thing, why does anyone false start? Right? I guess you just tense up. You overthink it. You're not relaxed. You kind of get caught up in the moment and you think someone like Nelson, who's won this race wouldn't happen, but it happens to the best of the people. Like, you know, sometimes great athletes false start. And I guess this was another one of those situations. Uh, moving on to the 60 hurdles. We saw kind of a similar repeat of 2019 with Florida hurdling. Remember in 2019, Grant Holloway wins the 60, then wins the 60 hurdles in a collegiate record in Birmingham, and the men win the team title because of it. Fast forward three years later, Grace Stark win, uh, doesn't win the 60, but Compete, makes the 60 final, then goes on, ties the collegiate record in the 60 hurdles, runs 778, um, and then her team goes on to win the team title in Birmingham. Pretty cool little symmetry there between the men and women of Florida. Talked to Grace Stark about the 778. She's always felt like it was coming. She felt like she had it in her, just needed to have a, a perfect race. And she talked about how Grant Holloway has been a little bit of a mentor for her. Because obviously Grant still trains on the Florida campus, on the Florida track. And Grant did the 60-60 hurdle double. And Grace Stark literally just did the same thing and ended it with a collegiate record. So it's pretty cool for Grace Stark. Um, 778. Be interested to see how this translates into the 100 hurdles. Um, I'm not sure uh, 
what her 100 hurdle PB is, where it is, but um, I'll be interested to see how she does outdoors. Yeah, Grant Holloway tweeted out, three-fourths collegiate records are in Gainesville for hurdles. Three out of four. A lot of people claim hashtag hurdle Lou, but we live it respectfully. Whoa. A lot of people claim hurdle you. Who claims hurdle you? I don't know. I guess was Kentucky. I guess. I don't know. No. Yeah. I mean, Florida is hurdle you right now. Oh, LSU. LSU claims hurdle you. Okay. So a little jab at LSU. Ooh. All right. Uh, moving on to 200. My girl, Abby Steiner, continues her run to prove me right. Not to, no, it's not even about me. It's she's doing what she does best. Wins the race 22-16. That was kind of a formality. No one was going to beat her in the 200. Uh, I was most impressed by her getting second in a 60. Um, the fact that she's more of a 4-2 sprinter kind of reminds me of like a Noah Lyles type where when they go shorter in distance and they improve their shorter distance, the more impressed you get. Like when Noah Lyles has an impressive 60, you're like, ooh, what does this mean? Like, oh, crap. Don't let Noah Lyles get good in the 60. That's a bad sign for the rest of the world, right? Because you know what he can do when there's more meters on the track. And now Abby Steiner is a similar situation. Whoa, don't let her get good in the 60. Because she got second in the 60 here because that's going to mean a lot in the 200 when we get to the outdoor season. She mentioned in her post-race interview, she's looking forward to running the 100. She feels like she's ready to kind of do like have a massive PB in the 100 and really add that to her repertoire of what her capabilities are as she slowly progresses into not just being an All-American and now national champion, but move towards uh, competing with the best in the U.S. and ultimately going over to the world championship level of competition. But yeah. Abby Steiner yeah, runs 22-16, 7-10 in the 60, splits 51 seconds in the 4x4. Four four. You know, that's some Grant Holloway type stuff, right? So, Abby, I'm looking forward to see what she does. I did ask, I got to ask, got to uh, interview her after the race. I was like, I remember you played soccer. She's given up, apparently she's given up soccer for like the past three years, which is, makes sense. That's why she's now good. Uh, when she's all in on track, not kicking the ball around, she's able to really focus in on what her true best talent is, which is sprinting. And I think she's, she's hoping to run, you know, I think once the track becomes flat and outdoors with 2.0 wind, we're going to see a much, an even faster Abby Steiner. Indoor is cool. Outdoors where you kind of really get to shine. So I'm excited to see what she does outdoors. I think she's going to break 22 seconds. I'm not sure when, but you know, I think I said I think she's going to medal at Worlds. Did I say that? I don't, I don't remember my takes on her. I have a lot of takes, and it's been over three years of taking on Abby Steiner. But I do think – I think I'll pick her to win USA's. I mean, it's between her and Gabby Thomas. Now, maybe this, she's getting the benefit of the doubt because Gabby's not running right now, and maybe Gabby's sitting at home and be like, Gordon, come on. Come on, Gordon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win USA's. I'm a freaking Olympic medalist. Stop. Stop giving all the love to the college kid. I'm like, well, you know, all right. I'll stop when you start running again. But I'm excited. Uh, basically, I'm excited to see Abby versus Gabby. Ooh. Abby versus Gabby. Dude. That's the headline. It's the year of Abby versus Gabby. Who do you got? You team Abby or you team Gabby? 
Abby versus Gabby. Oh man, I just thought that right off the top of my head. That's what happens when you're an hour and fifteen into a podcast. You start coming up with Abby versus Cabby. At twenty twenty two, the year of Abby versus Gabby. Loving that. Okay. Um, move on to four hundred. Talitha Diggs runs fifty ninety eight. Uh, sealed it in the. She ran in the first heat. Kind of interesting when they split these finals into two heats, uh, and the slow heat wins because you know you have more room to run. You don't have to worry about bumping and shoving with someone at the 200 meter mark. But Talitha Diggs wins it in 50.98. And this was basically the race that sealed it. When uh, I was watching Mike Holloway, a Florida head coach, watch this race, I should have filmed it, but I didn't. And when he saw Talitha Diggs win it, that was his moment of joy of like, we've just won the team title. Because there were two Texas women in this race, obviously Kentucky woman, Alexis Holmes, Arkansas as well. That was the competition that you were going up against for the team-wise. Um, and when he saw, you know, Alexis Holmes and the Texas women not break 51 seconds, he knew Florida went number Look at this. Zoom in. Like, zo show this photo. Zoom in right in the middle. In the white, the man in the white shirt in the backdrop. You just zoom straight. Straight right there. That was the moment where Mike Holloway knew he won the title. And you see Edric Florial realizing, ah, God, th this is the moment he lost the title. That right there. That's the moment when Mike knew he won and Edric knew he got second. Pretty wild. Um, they're boys, though. Uh, in fact, the Florida coach, Kentucky coach, and Texas coach, uh, post-race, they all, they're all, you know, they're all friends. They're all coworkers. They're kind of celebrating each other. Like, check out this cool video. The top three coaches kind of all posing with each other. Um, they actually, it's kind of interesting. They do each other's uh, hand signals. Like one of them does a, a longhorn. One of them does, I don't know what this is. This, I think it's a gator or something like that. And it was pretty cool how they're kind of all just happy for each other. Shows that sportsmanship. Um, pretty cool. Anyway, that was the 400. Four by four. Arkansas easily won. Fastest split, though. You always got to give a shout-out to the fastest split. Britton Wilson. Britton Wilson, freshman, I believe, from Arkansas, ran 50.61. My colleague, uh, Brian Dybel, who was on site with me shooting um, uh, behind-the-scenes piece, which you guys will see in a few weeks. I won't tell you what it is. Uh, she's transfer from Tennessee at Arkansas. Runs 50.61. And my boy, Brian Dybel, who used to work at Miles Split, covered Wilson during our high school days. And the entire time, he's like, yo, Britton Wilson, watch out. Britton Wilson, watch out, watch out. I was like, now I'm watching out. You split 50.61 on that anchor leg for Arkansas. I'm watching out. So big shout out to uh, Britton Wilson. Uh, we actually went out to Arkansas a few weeks ago to get a workout Wednesday with that sprint group, so you can check that out. Um, Arkansas is going to be running at the Penn Relays. Excited to see what they do. Um, it's going to be fun. Oh, it looks like uh, Trayvon Bromel came into chat. They weren't doing each other's They were doing their the fraternity. They are doing the, the fraternity signs. That's what they were doing, fraternity. I thought they were doing Longhorns or something, but doing fraternity. Thank you, Trayvon, for correcting me. They were doing the fraternity uh, symbols. That's pretty cool, though. Your fraternity boys going one, two, three, 
a national championship meet? Can't ask for anything better than that. All right, time for some distance stuff. We're going to rile through this. Uh, 800, that was the weirdest race. Sarah Hendrick of Kennesaw State runs 27 opening 200. Opening 400, she's running 56 seconds. I was like, is Cassius Semenya out there? Is this a thing Mo out there? Is Sarah Hendrick, are you about to run like 155 and shock the world? She doesn't hold on. Makes sense. She ends up finishing last in 206. But she went for it. She got the field spread out thin early on. Turns out to be a fast race around 201. Lindsey Butler, who was the favorite, wins it. And Claire Seymour, a BYU athlete, gets second. The reason why I mention this, Claire Seymour was the last one to qualify. She was the 16th time in. And to go from the 16th time in to all of a sudden getting runner-up, that's pretty cool. No one expected it. She kind of had a little of a slow start to her season, but for her to come back, get second after being the last one in on the bubble, it's pretty cool. Lindsey Butler, um, she looks to be someone who I think, um, she looks to be someone who I think can maybe be good at the 1500. She mentioned she might eye the 1500 uh, NCAA. So I'm excited to see what she does with this 800 meter speed. Uh, Mile, uh, Michaela DeGenero wins it 433. I actually was joking with my colleague. I was like, the winning time's gonna be 433. The winning time was 433. Colorado does pretty well here. They go 1 4. More importantly, this keeps the Colorado mile train going, right? You got DeGenero winning it. You got Sage Herter from last year. You got the greats of Danny Jones. You got Emma Coburn was a great miler. You have Jenny Simpson, obviously. It's kind of cool. Mile U might be Colorado. Pretty wild. Um, bitch out there. She's a Michigan transfer. Gets a PB. Um, excited to see what she does in the future. Moving over to the 3K and 5K. Uh, 5K, we'll start with the 5K because that was the first event. Courtney Wayman wins it, 15.30. She was the favorite. She kind of controlled that whole race. Um, and I just, I didn't see anyone beating her in that race. Uh, Tui came close. Chilangot came close. It was really between that top four, between Wayman, Tui, Chilangot, and Gregory. That really separated from the pack. But Wayman just had that gear. She had that position. And she was able to come through. She mentioned in a post-race interview that Wayman thought, um, uh, what is she? she said she thought she had a second or third gear if someone were to pass her, which I believed. Um, pretty impressive run for Wayman. And then vice versa in the 3K, Taylor Rowe made a huge move that paid off. She dropped the field. No one saw it coming. No one had Taylor Rowe on the can you win chart. Everyone's thinking it's Courtney Wayman going to pull off the double similar to Abdi Hamid Nur. But Taylor Rowe crashes the party, kill, kind of destroys the vibe of the field. And everyone's like, oh, oh shit. Like Taylor Rowe's out there. We got to move. There's not much real estate left in this race. We got to make this move. And Caitlin Tui gives every last bit of effort to catch Taylor Rowe, but comes up short. And I just saw the look in Tui's eyes coming off that race, she really wanted that win badly. She was so frustrated. And I think, I think Caitlin Tui wins that race if, she, if Tui's in a, a different position to kind of close that gap. Because Tui closed well. She closed, in she closed faster than anyone else in the field, 31-18, a whole second faster than Taylor Rowe, just ran out of real estate. And this just, 
I mean, I talk about athletes of the meet. You go you talk about like Melissa Jefferson and the Coastal Carolina, the, the men things, what they're doing. Abby Steiner running sprint. The athlete of the meet that you, I have the athlete of the meet that had no wins, right? Because you don't need to win to be an athlete of the meet. But like the best athlete that I thought that didn't win was Caitlin Tui. You look back at Caitlin Tui's career, high school, it was Tui mania. Every time she's, she walked on a track, everyone was recording it and turning it into TikToks and reacting. Caitlin Tui sighting, Caitlin Tui. And she had all this pressure in high school. She lived up to it in high school, you know, winning multiple cross-country titles, running, you know, you know, high school records back over and over and over. And then when she gets to college, you know, she's a little banged up. She's dealt with injury. NCAAs last year, outdoors, she fails to make the NCAA championship 5K. And we're all thinking it. We're all thinking, oh no, this is another one. This is another one of a great young female high school star who just isn't able to stay healthy or make that next step to the next level of competition. And we're all thinking it. We're all thinking, man, this sucks. Because Kaylin Tui was a phenomenal watch in high school, seeing what she was doing uh, at NXN, running those fast 5Ks. And then we're all thinking, like, is this it? But it wasn't. And I think Coach Ellie Hennis has done a great job with Tui, getting her healthy and really focusing on, on her as an individual, knowing that she's unique. She's not like any other recruit you have. She's a recruit that is already kind of lived through the craziness of stardom before she even stepped on, put on an NC State jersey. And you look at her cross-country finishes. She, you know, she's not winning cross-country, but she's like being a solid scorer. She's finishing like top 20. Remember, Grant Fisher, freshman year, was like 18th in cross-country. And now Grant Fisher is breaking an American record like eight years later in the 10K. So just remember, you don't need to be really good your freshman year in the cross-country. But now watching her come to this NCAA Indoor Championships, get close seconds. She wasn't like getting burned. She was closing on Weyman in the 5K. She was really closing hard on Taylor Rowe in the 3K. Comes up short both, but was impressive. It was, you watch that race and you say, yeah, Caitlin could have won that. There was, I see a scenario Caitlin wins that race. And it gets me really excited to know that Caitlin Tui found a way to overcome the early freshman year injuries and look stronger than ever. Looks like she has that chip on her shoulder of like, I got to win my first NCAA title. She's still young. She still has many years at NC State ahead of her. She's definitely going to collect a few NCAA titles on the way. 100% now. At first, it was like, I don't know. But now, I think she can win outdoors. Like she can win the outdoor 5K. 100%. And I just think that, you know, it is awesome that it's working out. Now, obviously, you know, Jenks, knock on wood. Like, you know, you don't want to say anything because anything can happen. You can twist an ankle and then you're, you get a big setback. But you could tell that she's got a good, she's got a good head on her shoulders. She's uh, really set herself up well for success. And I think that's because of the teammates' culture around her. You know, NC State's a great place for her. Obviously, Coach Hennis has done a great job at, you know, fomenting uh, re a, a connection to the track world of like, all right, we're, we're, it's not about, you know, winning NXN and all this high school stuff. We're focused on this. 
We're slowly going to develop you. And remember, she she got hurt actually post cross country. She meant she mentioned in an interview that she was hiding an injury, and then she told the her coach. Coach then shut her down for a long time. She got COVID, which is why she didn't run basically until like two weeks ago. But clearly, she has the talent where she can go basically an entire indoor season of not truly racing, and then show up and get back to back run up finishes uh, in impressive times. So, Kaylin Tui. You are ready to, to, to make that next jump. And it's, she's already made the jump. I'm excited what she does this outdoor season. Um, uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, she's my pick to win the 5K. Because well, Courtney Wayman is probably going to run the steeple. So, yeah, Caitlin too is my pick to win the 5K. A uh, little bit DMR. Arkansas won with basically a whole new squad. Uh, pretty impressive there. Uh, fast forward a little bit through the, the field events. Lamar Diston. Beat her ex-teammate, Tyra Gittens, who transferred from Texas A&M to Texas in a high jump. Rachel Baxter won the pole vault. Jasmine Moore, uh, collegiate record in the triple jump, impressed for Florida, wins the long jump and the triple jump. Speaking of Jasmine Moore, she's a transfer from Georgia. Anna Hall won the multi, also a transfer from Georgia. Jasmine Moore and Anna Hall scored 38, no, yeah, scored 38 points together. 38. If you take away those 38 points that these Georgia athletes gave to uh, Florida, Florida ends up finishing fourth. Texas wins, and Georgia would finish fifth. <laughs> so that decision for Jasmine Moore and Anna Hall to come from Georgia to Florida is a big reason why Florida won. Obviously, you still have to do the coaching. I'm not saying like that transaction and you win it doesn't work. You still like, got to coach them to the success. So Florida gets all the credit. But it's kind of crazy that, that those two transfers really swung the team title. It swung it in the favor of Florida, and they got these two young stars in Moore and Hall for multiple years. And Florida, they're going to be favorites outdoors. They're going to be favorites next year because they're going to be able to rack up a lot of points from Moore in the, in the horizontals and Hall in the multis. Uh, but it's pretty cool to see uh, Florida win a women's team title. They always dominate on the men's side. Uh, now they can have a chance to pretty much dominate on this woman's side. Um, and one last shout-out in the weight throw, Shea Tawo, one centimeter short of the NCAA record in the weight throw. She throws at 25.55 meters. Her, her and her teammate go 1-2, just a centimeter short of the record. Oh, so close. A record that's stood since 2007. Um, I don't think I could throw anything 83 feet. Like... I don't think I could throw this this uh, NCAA track and field cup. Do you think I could throw this 83, 83 feet? Probably not. She just threw a weight 83 feet. Man, I am not as strong as them. But anyway, that's it. That's a podcast. I can't believe I did 90 minutes. Uh, thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, do the whole thing. Uh, Wednesday, we are going to uh, preview worlds, get some pickums. Thanks for interacting. Thanks for staying the whole podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Do it again. Kevin's out for a week, so it's going to be just me and some special guests throughout the week. So we'll see how I do. Thanks for listening. Take care.